My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night. And of course, FOMO Sapiens 24-7. Now, the topic of the day is anxiety, anxiousness, which is something that I think if you don't know what it feels like, I'm impressed because if you live on earth, especially the last couple of years, anxiety is something that I, I don't know. I felt more anxiety the last five years than I have probably the other entirety of my life altogether. Uncertainty about COVID. We got economic craziness, political turmoil, environmental havoc. I don't mean to be so negative, but it just is where we are living these days. And so as somebody who never really you know, knew much about anxiety because I didn't have a ton of it, I feel like I am well acquainted with anxiety these days. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to be talking about it with somebody who is an expert on the topic and somebody who I really, really enjoyed speaking to. Her name is Maura Aaron's Mealy, and she is the host of The Anxious Achiever, a top management podcast that helps people rethink the relationship between their mental health and their leadership. Now, Mora founded Women Online and The Mission List, an award-winning digital consulting firm and influencer marketing company dedicated to social change back in 2010. She sold that business in 2021. She helped Hillary Clinton log on for her first internet chat, that's interesting, and has launched digital companies for President Obama, Malala Yousafzai, the UN, the CDC, and many other leading figures and organizations. She lives outside of Boston with her family and menagerie. I guess that means all her animals. And today we're going to talk about her new book, The Anxious Achiever, which is based on her podcast. We're going to talk about a couple of things. Number one, you're going to learn why anxiety is so pervasive in today's business environment. Obviously, I just gave you a couple of my own anxiety causers. I know you have your own. If you're an entrepreneur, you that's I mean, that's your job is manage your anxiety. Like that's not in the job description, but it should be. Number two, we're going to talk about addressing anxiety. Like how do we deal with this? How do we get to the point where we can manage it? And by the way, sometimes you need professional help, but on a day-to-day basis, all of us can employ new tools to just survive better. And finally, how can we reframe anxiety and turn it into a superpower? If you can do that, especially if you have a lot of anxiety, imagine taking all of that and turning it around because when you're feeling anxiety, you know what you're not doing? You're not getting things done that will be productive for you. So that's what we're going to talk about. It's a really good interview. I really like Maura. She's great. You're going to love her too. Now, small ask of the week. So this is kind of interesting talking about anxiety. You know what gives me anxiety? Going on TikTok. Why? Well, not just because the Chinese are probably looking at everything I'm doing. Love you, China, by the way. Love all our Chinese listeners. But, you know, that's what people say is happening. But more because it just never stops. Like, it just gives you more content, more noise, more noise. And so I've been playing around with TikTok. However, I do 
know that many of you are on there and I want to be there with you. And so we are launching TikTok. We are launching TikTok Reels. We're taking videos of our podcast and we are cutting them up into wonderful reels. So go check those out. Patrick J. McGinnis. Also, they're going to be on Instagram reels. And how am I doing this? With the assistance of a company called Pod Machine. New friends of mine. I met the founder over in Manila. He's coming on the show to tell his story. Go to podmachine.com slash FOMO and learn more about what they do. Check it out. I really like it. I mean, let's see how it goes. But feedback, welcome. Let me know. This is my first foray into TikTok. So it's going to be wild. Just check it out. All right, and now on to the interview. As you know, I like to start every interview with the same question, and the question is this. What's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? It's so funny, Patrick. I was actually, I knew you, I knew this was how you'd start, so I was like, what is the decision? <laughs> so when I was 29 years old, I realized that I was not cut out for corporate America. Mm. I don't know what in me sort of had this self-preservation instinct, but I had I had been through like nine jobs already at 29. I kept quitting and getting new jobs in hopes that I would just fit at the next one. Like I was I was good at my job. I was good at the work, but temperamentally and emotionally, I could not handle getting up, going to work being there all day, being with lots of people, negotiating office politics, advocating constantly. I just I just couldn't. I'm too I'm too anxious, I'm too socially anxious and I'm too introverted. And I quit my last job working for a large organization and I started freelancing. And the minute I started freelancing, I was like, "Oh my god, I love my work." Wow. That was it. Just like a, a, you flip a switch. Flip a switch. That's nice because I think so many people who are listening, who have gone through that, think there's something wrong with them mm-hmm. versus realizing that actually it's just like the system may not be designed for everybody to succeed. No. I mean, clearly the system is not designed for everybody to succeed. <laughs> uh, frankly, the system sucks. Um, and and to be honest, I, I as I've grown older, I've reflected on what I lost by leaving steady employment. Right, I kind of lost a lot of four hundred one k. I I think I think you know, I, growing up, my goal was always to be a media mogul. You know, I I can imagine another life in which I was like a CMO at a big company and with all of that power and benefit. But I. I, at that time in American work life, could not do it. So we're going to be talking about that today. You have a new book out. It's called The Anxious Achiever. Mm-hmm. Turn your biggest fears into your leadership superpower. And it's such a timely book. It's such a timely topic. Just to start, I kind of want to frame things up a little bit mm-hmm. and have you for us paint a picture of you know, the role that anxiety is playing within the modern, I mean, obviously it's a modern world, but like, let's focus specifically on the modern workplace. Yeah. Well, anxiety is ancient. I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> anxiety is primitive. It exists to keep us safe. Um, it exists as a threat appraisal system. And it kept us humans 
Homo sapiens alive, not FOMO sapiens, Homo sapiens, <laughs> um, <laughs> alive for millennia because anxiety is basically, it's an emotion, it's a sensory reaction when all of a sudden our nervous system perceives danger around the corner. Um, the problem is, is that most of us are no longer constantly chased by predators and our brain from what I understand by interviewing many, many scientists, our brain just hasn't gotten that message. And so your threat appraisal system may be elevated by your meeting with Bob and Sales the same way that it would have been elevated when you were, um, you know, hunting out on the plains looking for things to bring back and eat. And that is very difficult to manage. Um, the other thing is that, you know, interpersonal anxiety is a very real thing. Other people trigger us. Our environments trigger us. We are triggered all day long at work. And many of us have never sat and stopped to think, huh, why do I feel nauseous before this 4 p.m. meeting? Or why do I have a headache pounding right before my performance review? Or why am I micromanaging on this project when I know my team can do it? Those are all anxiety reactions that pop up at work. And I think that we just need to understand it and be honest with it. Yeah, you know, what you say about sort of this, the role of anxiety in human nature, human experience, is, I always talk about the fact you're right. Anxiety has super benefits, especially for our physical survival. And it was so critical to physical safety throughout, you know, all of human history. And now a lot of anxiety, it's much more tied to our emotional security. And yeah. well, and our sense talking, of self, our sense of am yeah. I am I going to be shamed? Am I going to be accepted? Am I going to face loss? Like a lot yeah. of anxiety right now, I think, is so spurred by uncertainty, right? And mm. by the fact that we just live in an insanely competitive and, um, and scary world. FOMO. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. 
Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. Yeah, it reminds me sort of when I was working in a job that made me anxious. I never thought about it that way. I was more like, I have to win every day. But mm. the Sunday scaries <laughs> feeling, which, you know, that Sunday night where you just, you're dreading the next day, which I thankfully don't have anymore. I didn't know how to, I didn't even have the words to think about that. I just knew that I felt anxious yeah, and that it really helped it helped to prevent me to be successful. How does, how, like, just talk about, you know, uh, this anxiety, like how does it translate into the performance of individuals and in, in organizations? Like, how, can you actually sort of like measure how this anxiety works against success? Um, there have been attempts to measure it. I think what's really interesting is that, you know, the scholarship for a lot of years just instantly thought that anxiety was bad, right? And they would always measure how anxiety made people less less willing to take risks, made them more insecure. It was always sort of the negative effects of anxiety. But now what's really cool is there is a lot of scholarship towards what are the benefits of anxiety, in leadership? What are the benefits of feeling anxiety at work? Because, you know, unmanaged chronic anxiety can lie on a spectrum of constantly going to work in a state of being prepared to face threat, right? Where your your jaws clenched, your stomach's clenched, your shoulders are clenched, and you're ready for battle, <laughs> as you said. It can get really severe where you can't leave your bed and you're having panic attacks and thinking you're dying. But it can also when channeled and understood, be the kind of thing that gets us up on stage and causes us to get a standing ovation, right? Like Wendy Suzuki at NYU talks a lot about this. There's this activating energy that anxiety brings as well that can really drive performance. At the end of the day, we need anxiety. We, We wouldn't be able to survive without it even today. It's all about the severity and how sort of skilled you are at managing and understanding it. So let's do a diagnostic because I I super agree with you. Uh, I always talk about like FOMO can be negative or positive. It's a great motivator, but it also can just have you trapped in the world of chasing after other people's dreams. But it's hard to know sometimes where the dividing line is. So like, let's, I'm sure people are listening right now and everybody knows anxiety. I mean, if you're, I I think even like a, a a Buddhist monk in Bhutan has moments, right? I mean, I, I, I got to think. Yes. So how do we self-diagnose? Self-diagnose. How do we figure out, number one, what anxiety feels like, where we are in terms of that, and then whether that anxiety is something that is harmful or potentially positive? Well, I'm not really big into self-diagnosing, to be honest. Like, I, I'm, And I'm not a doctor. So I think that... Um, if you're feeling like your anxiety is getting in the way of functioning, 
if you find that it's causing you to not be able to do things that you want and need to do, I really recommend getting professional help. Because the good news is that anxiety is something that we understand psychologically and clinically a lot better than we understand other things. And help is out there, right? Um, so I just I just want to say that. But I think if, if, if you're noticing that you're going to work with that anxiety and you find yourself feeling either physical symptoms during the day, if you find yourself feeling avoidance, if you find yourself, oh, God, I'm, I'm drinking too much, I'm snacking too much, I'm avoiding things. If you know that anxiety is showing up for you at work in a lot of ways, the first thing to do is try to understand why. What is setting me off? And it can be something as global as I'm terrified I'm going to get laid off. Or it can be something as niche and specific as my new colleague keeps stepping over my boundaries and it's making me really upset. Or I'm really triggered by imposter syndrome because I have a new boss and they make me feel anxious. Maybe I feel like they went to all better schools than I did and they're much smarter than me. Or I flubbed something and I'm embarrassed about what I said and I'm ruminating about it. You know, I just talked to someone, it was super interesting, who um, felt like her boss had started micromanaging her in such an uncomfortable way because the boss had just recently been promoted and was preparing this big report to give to her higher-ups. And as a result, the boss was just micromanaging my friend like so intensely. And it was her question was, how do I manage an anxious boss? So it's really trying to figure out, trying to play detective, if you will, like what is making me anxious? Why does my stomach flip before this meeting? Or why do I avoid returning that email? I'm sure we've all had that email, right? That's been like sitting with us for days and we just (laughs) can't bring ourselves to respond. (laughs) One thing I didn't think about, but you've made it clear. And and now I just kind of, there's a new idea. I mean, it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense, but I guess hadn't thought about it necessarily is that your anxiety like the little thing like that email that you're talking about and then the 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 big sort of abstract like i could lose my job and if i can't pay my rent i'm gonna have to move with my parents so those are two anxieties that you know as from a third party perspective it's very easy for me to say to you well more come on i mean like one of those is something that you can deal with pretty reasonably the other one is 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 a much bigger you know, it's it's more abstract. It's it's there, there. If that were to happen, you could then pursue a number of strategies to you know risk mitigate around that. But when you're feeling those things, they can kind of feel equally important, can't they? And you know, when you're when you're in a state of anxiety, you're not rational. Sometimes, <laughs> big things and small things feel the same because the primary state you're in is one of deep, deep uncertainty and sometimes panic. You know, I mean. I'll tell you right now, I'm super anxious. <laughs> I have a big book coming out and um, the stakes feel really high. And what I've noticed is that my imposter syndrome is kicking in like crazy. Mm. Small things that would have not even bothered me a year ago are keeping me up at night. Yesterday, I panicked. I thought I said something inappropriate to a new colleague and... I honestly lost sleep about it. It was a small comment, but I thought this person's not gonna respect me and I really needed them to help me with something and now they're not gonna help me. 
I said no to a speaking engagement. And what was my first thought? No one's ever going to hire me again, and I'm not going to be able to support my family. Like when Mm. you are in that deep, anxious state, it doesn't matter if it's something tiny or you actually do get laid off. The tenor and the breath and the impact of it can feel so intense because your brain is in that hyper aroused state. Yeah, and you start linking everything. That's what's interesting is you talk about that. And I do the same thing. It's like, oh, I have this work opportunity. Well, you know, great but it conflicts, so I'm gonna have to turn this one down. Well, what if nobody ever calls me again and then all of a sudden I have to move out of my apartment and then, you know, all those sorts of things. So we do start to link, I totally do this as well. And and when my book came out, unfortunately mine came out in the middle of COVID. So when there was no bookstores or anything, and I just remember the events that would have given me such joy, you know, where I was excited about them, had it been, you know, sort of normal times. I was just like, will anybody show up? And I remember just the whole thing. Then you start to think, well, if nobody shows up, does that mean this was a waste of time? Does that mean that nobody, you know? And so you do, you become your own worst enemy, but it's human nature to do these things. Well, what you're what you're describing is you're stuck in thought traps, right? So a big concept in cognitive behavioral therapy, right? And, and in a lot of therapy is that we have these thought distortions, these distortions in our brain when we're anxious. And so when we're anxious, a lot of us catastrophize, which is what you were doing, right? No one's ever going to ask me to speak again. You know, that is a really common one that a lot of us go to. Some people are all or nothing thinkers, right? So a really common all or nothing thought trap is you, you have a performance review and you get one piece of critical feedback and then you get the rest glowing, but you only focus on that one piece, right? You're filtering out the information and then you're making it seem black and white, right? Well, I did make this mistake in the presentation. I flubbed those numbers. And so that becomes the overwhelming theme of the presentation, not the fact that you did a great job and the client signed on anyway, right? So a lot of us, we get stuck in these thought traps. Our brain just tries to answer our anxiety and it can be really, really frustrating. FOMO. FOMO. Totally. And, and that's why I want to put you to work. So <laughs> let's start there because I, I want to I focus the next sort of the, the, the remainder of our time on some of the strategies that you are, are sharing mm-hmm. in the book and on your podcast, The Anxious Achiever, about how we can better you know, manage these things and even use them for our success. So let's start with that. I mean, I'm now, let's see, I always use my podcast for, for self-help. So totally. what should I do? How would you recommend I approach this thing where I start to catastrophize? Because I think that is like an area that a lot of people, especially people who work for themselves, mm-hmm. tend to go the minute something doesn't go their way. Like, how would you recommend I approach that? Um. Well, the first thing is to, notice that you might be catastrophizing, right? Mm. And again, um, I'll never forget when I had the writer Ashley C. Ford on my show and she said, gosh, anxiety can really be a liar. <laughs> and, and and honestly, that's the funny thing about anxiety is anxiety can provide you incredibly valuable data, right? Like, why did that meeting make me feel like the worst was going to be happen? I, the worst was going to happen. I really need to look into that. But then also, wait a minute. 
that one critical comment does not mean that I'm going to lose my job. Anxiety can be tricky. And so it's really important to think, am I catastrophizing right now? How, how, how true is this or not? And so I think then the key is to do some like fact-finding work, right? not maybe relying on yourself because you might be so anxious you're not a reliable narrator, right? Um, one of the things that I think is really, really important is to have the courage to seek advice from someone else and get a reality check, right? We all need reality checks sometimes. And so maybe you're catastrophizing, you're really thinking the worst case scenario is about to happen. Who can you just check in with, right? For me, I mean, my poor husband, he must hear 10 times a week, oh my God, they're never going to hire me. They're never going to hire me because I said this, and then I'm, I'm going to have to go, and I'm going to have to go get a job I don't like, and I'm not going to be able to retire. I mean, I'm, I, I'm like spinning out. And he can just be like, Maura, here's the facts. But you can actually do this yourself, too. There's a wonderful tactic in uh, CBT therapy where you can try to replace the catastrophic thought with what's called a balanced thought. And the thing that's really cool about a balanced thought is that it's not Pollyanna, right? It's not like, you're amazing. This is all going to be fine. It's just probably a little more neutral, (laughs) and maybe the tiniest bit more realistic than your catastrophic thought, right? And so what you can do is look at the thought and say, oh my God, I have this catastrophic thought that I'm going to not get this client and then I'm not going to be able to build my business and I'm going to have to go get a job I don't like and it's all going to be over, right? And you can ask yourself, okay, what's what's a more balanced approach to the fact that you're not going to get this client and you're never going to be able to build your business. What would happen if you really didn't get the client? Well, I mean, I have some savings and I have this other client and it's okay because I have a lot of things in the pipeline, right? And you see, you sort of build a case to tackle your own catastrophe. And that's actually really, really helpful because when you look at the facts and the data points around your thought trap around that distortion, you can tell yourself things are going to be okay. Your breath is probably going to slow down and get deeper. And you can look at that catastrophic thought for what it is, which is basically a lie. It's a distortion of the truth. And so I find this extremely helpful um, to practice because the thing that I learned when I was doing research for the book that stuck with me almost more than anything else is that all this stuff is habitual. It's habitual. We don't even we don't even want to be catastrophists, Patrick. We don't want to be, but our brain has been doing it for so long that that's what our brain does. We feel triggered. We try to make the trigger go away by replacing it with a thought. And we need to literally break the habit by replacing that catastrophic thought with something else. I have a really good image for all the finance people, the finance mm. nerds here in the crowd, that I that it just made me think of. This is so good. It's like you know when you're building a financial model, and then you put it, you mess it, and you put in the wrong thing, and then the whole model refs out and it blows up. <laughs> Hashtag which, ref. Yes. Yeah, that's my life. By the way, I was the worst <laughs> financial modeler in all of J.P. Morgan. But that's not how life works. Like when you change the input. 
the model doesn't have to blow up. The model changes. And so that's a very helpful, just thinking about the first derivative and the second derivative of the changes that you make, you can always change the model without having it all blow up. And I think that that's a really helpful, at least for the finance nerds, a great way of thinking about how to manage change. Love that. I am the worst Excel person ever. And that that image of the ref is really, really great. I'll, I'll tell you another quick one, which is a really an, another good little um, tactic, which is called the so what game. And this mm. is something that therapists use. It's really great. So you could you could actually follow the thought, right? So you could say the client's not going to hire me. So what? Well, mm. that client's not going to hire me. I'm not going to get that bit of income. So what? Well, my income will be $5,000 less a month. So what? Well, I have those two other clients and I might be able to last a couple of months, right? And you see, and you follow the thought down where it's not really a catastrophe if I don't get that extra client. And hopefully, I really hope, I mean, sometimes catastrophes do happen and they are very, very hard. But if like you and me, you are a catastrophizer just almost by habit because we're so comfortable with that way to manage our anxiety, you can start working on breaking it. Totally. And you know, it makes me think now I'm going (laughs) catastrophe central. It's sort of like (laughs) if you wake up one day and you find something truly bad happens, like I'm not going to even name something, you know, but something you will look back and you'll say like, wow, I had a really good, you know, I really did. Like that thing that I thought was so bad, actually, like I was, I was focused on the wrong things. And so you don't want to be in that place because regret's also really a horrible place to be as well. So, yeah, so it is, it is, it's a valuable way to think about it. Well, and a lot of us, a lot of us anxious people were defensive pessimists, right? So we always assume that the worst is going to happen. And we actually think that the worst is going to happen almost as a way to protect ourselves, right? So mm-hmm. if, if I assume that only the worst is ever going to happen, then I will be prepared if the worst does happen, but I will be pleasantly surprised if good things do happen. And there's actually some, some research that shows that defensive pessimism is an adaptive anxiety response and helps with leadership because when you're a defensive pessimism, you are preparing for that worst case scenario, right? You're saying, well, this definitely, I'm definitely not going to get acquired by this company that I really want to buy me. So I better have a contingency plan in case the acquisition doesn't happen because I am definitely not going to have the thing I want happen. I like that plan B I know, all right? the time. More, <laughs> 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 I do want to ask you before before I let you go. Talk about you know the the real thrust of this book is about turning anxiety into a superpower, which which is awesome because the global reserve in anxiety it's kind of like if you could figure out how to make sand into free energy. Um, you know, the world would just be like all the wars would end. So if we could take that, that very, very abundant resource of anxiety, if we can turn that into superpower, we'd be in a great shape. So talk about, uh, you know, how do we do that? Like, you know, obviously there's a whole book that we're going to read about it, the anxious achiever, but what are some quick ways for us to start thinking about doing that? I mean, at the end of the day, it's really about self-awareness and self-acceptance. And the thing that I think is so powerful is that you don't want to be an unaware, unaccepting leader. Who wants to work for a leader 
who has no ideas about what makes them tick, who's constantly acting out their anxiety. We've all worked for people who just act out their anxiety mindlessly, mindlessly, and it sucks. Self-aware people, self-aware leaders are the best leaders. They're who we want to work for because they understand not only what makes them tick, but how triggers affect people on their team. They understand human dynamics and they have empathy. And so when you have anxiety or if you have any other kind of mental health challenge, mental illness, if you are neurodivergent, if your brain works differently and you do the work to understand it, you will truly, truly be self-aware and you will bring that into your work. I mean, my favorite story is about Abraham Lincoln, who, um, you know, today would be considered clinically depressed, you know, morbidly depressed, often suicidal. And that was how he was. And people knew it. I mean, the most interesting thing about that is that he didn't walk around saying I'm clinically depressed because that's not what they said back then. But he would talk about the hypo, moments of the hypo. And and, and Lincoln scholars cover this. And the people around him knew how to manage him when he was depressed. But Lincoln was in many ways our greatest leader right? You always hear about that incredible empathy that Lincoln had, the ability to look at anyone from a civil war leader to um, the other side, to a widow, and really see them for who they were, and then very cannily figure out how to manage it. Um, And I always think about that, you know, a leader who understands where they face challenges is a better prepared leader to both show up in a really great way and help others. And then finally, you know, a lot of anxiety can literally be channeled into that activating energy. You know, I, I look at my life and I think of my anxiety. I, ha- I just had a guest, Newton Chang, on my show, and he, he talked about it as a roommate. It's his roommate. I think of my anxiety as my traveling companion. It can make life really difficult, but the drive that it gives me has gotten me where I am. I just have to manage it just as you would any other challenging condition. All right, everybody. The book is The Anxious Achiever, Turn Your Biggest Fears into Your Leadership Superpower. Now, if you want to find out more and pick up a copy, obviously, you got to head to theanxiousachiever.com. You can also find more about Mora on LinkedIn. The name is Mora Aarons Mealy. Mora Aarons Mealy, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Patrick. FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrow. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMO Sapiens.com. FOMO.